Hello and welcome to Private Markets podcast series from Said Business School at the University of Oxford. I'm your host, Ludovic Falipu, Professor of Financial Economics. Today's podcast is Private Debt in Emerging Markets Laid Bare. So we are going to talk about private debt, but focusing on developed markets. And our guest is Charlotte Henderson, who has a huge amount of experience in this space. Charlotte, thank you for being here with us today. So how can you lend money from like Dubai or London to places like in Africa, in Latin America, etc., to these companies and you just like make a loan? How can you be sure, you know, that this is going to work out? How, how is that possible? Emerging markets are not as scary as you think. Um, and the definition of emerging markets does change um, regularly as well. Um, I think Mauritius is becoming developed and China is certainly um, developed now. It, it is developed in terms of wealth, but, but still, you know, I, I don't feel that confident in the institutions of those countries to be able, like, to get money out. And, like, you, you mentioned China or, like, the number yeah. of people like me are pretty nervous about the idea of, like, you know, I'm lending to a Chinese company. I, you know, sometimes it exists, sometimes not. And then even then, you know, I may not even be able to get my money back. The government may come in, in and say, no, I'm taking this, I'm keeping it. Yeah, so you need to have strong... Um restructuring support um, type default scenario downside protections in your documents. What we have done in the past is lots of due diligence, just like you would in a private equity deal. Um, so you take time looking at the financials, um, the legals, the ESG. In many countries, these financials are like made up and they don't even like have financials. So is it like I, I have So we get them audited, the make sure that the financials are audited by Big Four. We had a situation in Kenya, we were looking at a company to finance it and it turned out it had multiple books. So it was one company and they had two sets of books and they had a related um, uncle, I think, who was the auditor of. So, you know, but those sorts of checks is what you do as part of your due diligence. And you managed so to detect these things? We, we detected it, yeah, and we didn't proceed with the deal. And so I presume as well that you would focus then only on companies of a certain size because the, the smaller the companies in these geographies, the trickier it is to lend them any money, especially as a foreigner, right? Yeah, correct. You look at the cash flows, but also looking back... Um, to historical financials to provide the um, the growth capital that that they need, and sometimes it's equivalent to doing a um, an equity deal, but the shareholders just don't want to be diluted, or you have local ownership restrictions, in which case you you're much better off providing a loan and then structuring the controls through the covenants and the security package. So I've I've heard that uh, a lot, like especially in a country like China, that like it's not very easy to get equity or uh, there are more restrictions on on equity maybe than just providing debt. And so, but debt is not very well defined. You could very well have a debt that resembles preferred equity that has like a call option and then it's kind of equity, but you call it debt. And so is that a way then to go around certain restrictions in some countries to effectively do equity equity investing, but in a, in, from the back door? I don't know if it's via the back door. I think, you know, if you're a strategy, your strategy is private equity, it's a very different strategy in terms of exit and realization and returns and risk. So credit is supposed to be, and in my opinion, is less risky as an investment um, because you are contractually entitled to get your money back. Um, with equity, who knows if you get your money back, you have to do this whole sort of value creation plan. You have to be very heavily involved in the business. Um, as a lender, you can look at different portfolio companies and different borrowers across different jurisdictions without, you know, micromanaging the companies. So, so it, it is probably less risky. I mean, it's supposed to be less risky, but but uh, 
it still is mind-boggling to me. Like you, 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 I think you've done deals like in Pakistan or countries like that, lending money there. Do you manage to really detect all these like double books and the like in due diligence? Like how often do you have bad surprises? There must be some. And 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 uh, and is it not a more frequent than, than in developed markets because the due diligence is, is still then feasible or like how? We see, um, we see bad books also in, in developed markets, right? Yeah, you do. And so people very... tell me, I mean, I don't invest in Italy, but they tell me that it's just as complicated and, and as corrupt as, you know, some of the um, other countries in, in Africa, for example, which, are, which have their, their struggles. Do you always detect it? So I've worked both in, in a sort of fixed income bond trading house where, the, you know, the traders analyze and then they buy the positions um, on a much bigger liquid scale as well as um, in a direct lending context which is more akin to private equity where you do more due diligence up front and structuring and I think where you're originating the deals yourself in direct lending you do pick up a lot more if you follow a rigorous due diligence process you, know, you go meet them you, you hire external lawyers accountants ESG people a lot of the times the ESG um, diligence that you do can can detect sort of governance concerns as well as sort of social issues um, and that can help sort of turn the companies around and, and help them to perform. Because I see, what I've been seeing casually is that, that, that it, whenever we talk about emerging markets investing in private markets, we talk a lot more about ESG. It's almost like going hand in hand. Um, so is it because this ESG is so useful for due diligence in these geographies more than maybe in others? Yeah, I mean, I think it was in the, in the governance um, research that we picked up you know, the, the, the challenges with the Kenyan company. I think in, uh, in Asia, you know, we, we, we financed one of the most successful deals was a Indian headquartered um, BPO servicing company that we financed. Um, and, you know, they had some sort of ESG concerns, but we were able to turn that around for the company um, by basically saying in the loan agreement that they had to, you know, implement sexual harassment plans and they had to sort of do different things which then you know created a better story for the company and enabled them then to be able to sell maybe not just because of that but you know became a sort of cleaner company or we require them to have a big four auditor audit their books and that's not necessarily a financial or legal diligence but it's brought into environmental and social. Something particularly interesting I find in, in, in what you just said is you mentioned that you could influence the company in the way it is run. You seem to, you were talking a bit like a practically person saying, you know, we, we help the company doing this or that. Usually when we think about a lender, that's usually the passive person. The person has no say on, on governance, has no say about the, how the company should, should, should work. Would you say that because of a type of lending you just described, which, is a, which has some upside built into it, because it's emerging market, because the way it's structured, would you say that it is not so far from a private equity type of positions in emerging markets and you do work with the companies to make sure they can repay the debt? In contrast to, again, in developed markets where the lender are very passive people. In terms of direct lending, if, I think it depends what your return thresholds are. And if, it's, if you're trying to get higher returns, you are more equity-like in terms of your structuring, in terms of you, know, you might want warrants or upside features. Um, you might pick your interest um, over the course of the loan so that they don't have to pay a high, higher amount up front. 
Um, and you may have more board observer rights. And yeah, I was going to ask, do you, do you get board seats then? or No, but because we don't want to be sort of shadow yeah. management of the company either because then there are potential liabilities associated with that. But board observer, we, we were on a couple of our investments. But would you help the companies on some, on some things? Yeah, I mean, so they have to report, you know, when they start to get into trouble on their um, covenants. Um, that's, you know, we go monitor them regularly. We have monitoring um, fees, but also monitoring quarterly, I think it is. And we have the right to come and access their books and records at any time. So we help them in that sense, um, but we don't tell them how to run the business. And ultimately, as long as they're performing and repaying, you know, they're, they're current on their interest and they're going to repay Yeah, then you don't the intervene. Principal. It's more like if you see the money's not coming in, then maybe yeah. you go, go there and maybe you can help them with like putting them in touch with some specialist on, on some situations because yeah. at, 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 at these companies usually there is also a practically division that would have connections with management and so on so you could potentially put them in touch with a specialist or that you, you would not do that. Yes, sometimes. So they, it can be in the sort of leverage buyout kind of context. You have the, the private equity people. Our um, Indian Singapore deal was like that. In the Turkish deal, it's, it's very much family run. So, you know, there's no sort of other management there. But, you know, as part of their reporting, you know, we gave them a template for how they should report their, to their board um, and, you know, just brought them up to sort of a more professional standard for, from an international level. When we look at returns in emerging markets, private equity, um, it's pretty clear that it is a lot lower than U.S. and U.K. private equity. So sometimes one thing I say to defend that is to say, well, that's not really comparable because one is really highly levered equity positions, while what we call private equity in emerging markets is often more like preferred equity and the like. And so paradoxically, maybe it is less risky than maybe the LBO of the US, UK, that we call private equity. But in any case, these returns are not particularly good, especially at one point, a lot of money was flowing into Africa, private equity, like in the 2010 and, and, and the like, and this money doesn't seem to have found very good returns. Would you say something similar happens in, in debt or the debt market, the lending market, because there are so few players, we're not subject to these fads maybe that we saw on emerging market private equity, and then your returns are, are still looking good on the debt front? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that the best performing African P fund is at 6% or something, so it's not ideal. Um, on the debt side, so I think having spoken to some, you know, investors and LPs that, you know, I've been in touch with, just having an African debt strategy is potentially a bit, not, uh, not risky, but it's, it's not diversified enough. So if you're going to do debt and you need to kind of look across broader emerging markets, and so the fund that I work for had a global um, EM strategy which enabled us to asset allocate some in you know, Africa, but also LATAM, Eastern Europe, Middle East, and Asia. But that's hard because every single country has different rules and so on. And it is so important that you master the regulation of a country, the, the legal setup of a country. And if you have like 100 different countries in your portfolio, I guess you don't have really people on the ground in 100 different countries, maybe in none of them. Yeah. And so how... Advisors, you have local advisors, and you, that's part yeah, of. But how can you trust? I mean, the the, the 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 usual thing is like, how can you choose an advisor when you don't know yourself, right? It's like, how do you you say, I'm not a specialist of Turkey, so I'm going to hire a Turkish specialist. But how do you choose a Turkish specialist if you have no idea about Turkey? Yeah, and I think that's part of the you know the issue with emerging markets, and it's it's knowing your the jurisdictions. You know, for example, in the insolvency regimes, there are any issues you can have. 
um, on the private equity side, but also on the debt enforcement side. So for example, in Turkey, they can put you in a moratorium for three years where you can't enforce your debt. So there's massive sort of borrower protections. But sim similarly, if you are able to get a Senate, which is a promissory note from the borrower or from the sponsor, you can enforce that and it blocks their bank accounts and it freezes their assets. So there are tricks like that that you do in different emerging markets jurisdictions. You, I speak a lot to local lawyers um, when they come to London and when I, you know, when I travel as well. So for example, the Pakistan law firm that I was speaking to had just written their new insolvency code and they based it on Mexican insolvency law. The problem there is that they, they last sort of nine years, but then they changed the law so that it would all be in and out within one year, which uh, puts an awful lot of pressure on the creditors to consent to something that they wouldn't otherwise do. So it's sort of learning those tricks and understanding different jurisdictions and then building it into the loan and the country that you want to invest in. And so you said the diversification is the answer to like the bad returns I spotted in, in, in Africa, but I think like the all of emerging markets did pretty well on the equity front over the last 10 years. So on the debt front, you would say that some geographies compensated for others and so the debt returns are looking pretty good in emerging markets? Yeah, I think the debt returns, if you're doing a sort of growth type structure or mezzanine or special sits or distressed, I think there's lots of opportunity. I think you struggle if you just want to do sort of senior lending at 4% and compete with the banks because that's not really what it's about. And I think you, you struggle from a regulatory Because the banks lend enough in emerging markets? Because what we hear on, in, in, in Western Europe and, and, and North America is that the banks are not really lending that much and so some people need to step in, etc. So you would say that in emerging markets, the banks are doing the job when it's about senior lending it's just like this more junior lending when there is no one, and so that's the, the thing to focus on. Yeah, I mean, I think some in some of the emerging markets or growth markets, I, I think the banks are retrenching, so that you know there is also a problem there. But no, there is a gap for the sort of second lien or the, the MES type facilities. The challenge with doing that is a lot of the a lot of the jurisdictions haven't got the sophistication to sort of understand the intercreditor arrangements are not a sort of firm legal concept. So to try and sort of talk with the local banks about, um, you know, who has a standstill period and who can enforce first and how do we rank in terms of security, that's, you know, that's not always an easy conversation to have. You made a switch from public markets to private markets a while back and now you have a lot of experience in private markets. What would you say of the most important things for people to consider or to know when they are doing such a switch? What were the things that were, you know, most important for you to know? It's a good question. I mean, I think, so, you know, I, I'm a lawyer by trade, although I've worked in asset management now for seven years in emerging markets, asset management, five years of which was in fixed income. Um, although there was corporate M&A there as well. I think the big difference is liquidity, obviously, um, and being able to exit positions and not holding on to your um, positions for too long um, in emerging markets. And in terms of skills, what kind of skills people need to have or what did they really need to know that, that, or you wish you would have known when you made that switch from public markets to private markets? I think with private markets, you have to be more patient. Um, you have to sort of weather the, because there can be peaks and troughs in the business and you, you, you once you've invested you're with that company for a long time uh, it's, it's less liquid so you can't just sort of wash your hands of the company so therefore you have to do a lot more diligence and structuring up front and especially from a credit perspective you know at the point that you sign the loan agreement and you fund the deal you know that's hopefully 
you know, all you have to do, right? All the structuring is done up front and then, and then it just repays. And you need to be ready to uh, work with the company if it doesn't, but you, you, know, you need to do a lot of more planning up front rather than just kind of buying it on Bloomberg. Charlotte, thank you very much. This was extremely helpful and I'm sure all uh, our viewers have enjoyed that conversation as well. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoy and learn from listening to our podcast today. Thank you for listening to the Private Markets podcast series from the Safe Business School at the University of Oxford. You can also send us your questions and feedback at sbspodcasts at sbs.ox.ac.uk. That's sbspodcasts with an S at sbs.ox.ac.uk.